how to become Batman. Deactivate Facebook and cut your TV cable. You can run on broken legs, he says. Ooh. Now, of course, you could take that advice and push it too far, but using your anger to fuel yourself is just going to burn you out. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. I wanted to roast a fitness book in order to explore this area of personal development and coaching. Obviously, how you present yourself is important in the dating process too. In models, Mark Manson says fashion and fitness are the two biggest factors involved with this, how you present yourself. Now, fitness is about more than appearance, of course. It's about embodiment too, obviously, or it should be anyway. And it's linked to health and well-being as well as motivation and discipline. Now, I was originally inspired by this guy, Pavel Gola who I used to sit next to back in the crazy cool TNL office days just prior to the pandemic. We both go nuts for oatmeal, but I realized I didn't share his same passion for pushing himself physically to more fully discover what your body is really capable of. I wanted to understand his mindset. My girlfriend gave me a copy of Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins and I started reading. I soon realized that this was more than just a book about fitness, but as someone who is really no expert, I wanted a second opinion. I was at James Farm in Portugal last year and met Eros, one of the natural warrior workshop coaches. Eros is a holistic movement coach. He has 10 years experience as a personal trainer and also a comprehensive competitive background in bodybuilding, powerlifting and strongman. In recent years, he has explored a more diverse set of practices ranging from dance and gymnastics to internal martial arts and movement culture as a whole. He told me about how his work now focuses on a holistic, integrated approach of healing as well as training the body by addressing the emotional world of his clients. When I heard all this, I knew his experience would be invaluable in really understanding what this book is all about and what it means. We'll hear from Eros later in the video, but for now, let me give you a quick summary if you haven't read this book or even heard of David Goggins. And I'll let you know my ideas on the book as we go along. Don't worry about that. But first, let's judge a book by its cover. This book is an autobiography with practical exercises at the end of each chapter that Goggins wrote in collaboration with author and journalist Adam Skolnick. But it doesn't tell you that on the cover, see? Like in the same way that Miles' autobiography does. That's an awesome book, by the way and very relevant to the book we're looking at because of the way it documents an individual's struggles against racial prejudice and systemic racism and the inequality that minority groups often face. (gasps) Plus, it's Miles. Chapter one begins in 1975 in Buffalo, New York. Goggins grew up in Williamsville, which he describes as a living, breathing American dream which for him was hell on Paradise Road because his aggressive, violent and sadistic father subjected the family to relentless psychological and physical abuse. His father Trunus ran Skate World where the family worked late into the night while Trunus mixed with gangsters, prostitutes and sometimes celebrities, including OJ Simpson and Rick James in the Vermilion Room bar above the skate rink dance floor. 
Working all night left David with little energy for school, which affected his progress. Not to mention the fact that he was dealing with toxic stress. The type of physical and emotional abuse I was exposed to has been proven to have a range of side effects on young children, because in our early years, the brain grows and develops so rapidly. If, during those years, your father is an evil motherfucker, hell-bent on destroying everyone in his house, stress spikes, and when those spikes occur frequently enough, you can draw a line across the peaks. That's your new baseline. It puts kids in a permanent fight-or-flight mode. Fight-or-flight can be a great tool when you're in danger because it amps you up to battle through or sprint from trouble, but it's no way to live. The weird thing is that through the book, this does kind of become his way to live as he relentlessly pushes himself deep into the discomfort zone physically and mentally. This does eventually become his baseline, his life going from stress spike to stress spike throughout the book. Anyway, leaving that aside, young David was threatened with having to attend a special school and so he started cheating, which made it even harder for him later on when he got to high school. With this chapter, he gets you to consider the bad hand life has dealt you and acknowledge the obstacles and injustices that you have been forced to face in your own life. He says, give your pain shape, absorb its power, because you are about to flip that shit. You are going to use these reasons and excuses for failure to fuel your ultimate success. I was on board, partly. I did this exercise. It's a great idea to account for these difficult things. They feel less difficult as you process them. Check out this video to learn more. Now, I'm not sure about absorbing the power of the pain that they cause or using them as fuel. He talks about that here on impact theory. Let's check it out for three minutes. I'm not some not, you know, nasty guy giving guy. You know, I, I don't have a great bit of talent in anything. So what got me through horrible times was the dark side was I created, my name is David Goggins. I created Goggins. Goggins is the guy that can take anything you put in front of him. You want to break my motherfucking legs? So be it. I have a way of going to a place like I did in that race where all the pain and suffering that they put on top of me in Hell Week, I will reverse that pain and suffering and I will take your soul. So every instructor that put me through buds, my job, what drove me was I wanted you to go home that night after you beat the living shit out of me and I smiled in your face. I wanted you to feel worse than I did and you were going home to a nice warm bed with your wife or your kids and a nice meal and I was still out there in the grip suffering for another hundred hours. I wanted you to think about me knowing that I'm comfortable being very unfucking comfortable and I want you to think about when you went through fucking hell week, how uncomfortable you were and how bad you wanted to quit knowing I'm not thinking that fucking way. So the dark side is something that I've designed it's an evil place I can go that very few things can hurt me. I use the hurt you're trying to put on me. I flip it upside down and use it. You trying to use it for kryptonite? No, it's power pillars for me. I'm, I'm using it for strength. I just flip negative into positive. That's all it is. I heard you doing an interview one time and the person was trying to like see the sort of empowerment, the, the beauty in that. And you were like, no, no, no it's darkness. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the reasons that I'm, so I'm utterly fascinated with comic books. And one of the reasons that I'm so intrigued by Batman is he literally uses the darkness, the sickness that he has over what happened to him and his family to propel him forward for decades to, to keep driving. And it's, most people are broken by the bad things that happen to them. But every now and then, there's a Goggins. There's somebody who understands how to use that power to understands how, as a human being, it fucking drives you. Revenge is powerful. Like, to be able to tap into that in a way that's controlled. That's right. But to be able to bring it in, to use it, to feel the energy. There is an intoxication to rage. And I don't think people are honest about it when they talk about it. There's a fucking intoxication to that. And if you can tap into it and leverage it, not get lost to it, which is why I know you always caveat it by saying, look, I'm a fucking happy guy. Like, that's not what we're talking about right now. Right. But I'm a happy guy. Right. So you can't get overtaken by it. But it's there and it is so fucking powerful. It's real. He says, it's an evil place I can go where very few things can hurt me. Things can't hurt me. This is the core of the book. Now, we'll get back to Hell Week, but for regular roast viewers, can you see the parallel here with Fight Club, for one thing? The book is is addressed to the unrelenting voice in my head that will never allow me to stop. Now do you see the parallel I'm drawing? Video we've just been watching is literally entitled How to Make Yourself Immune to Pain or How to Become Batman Revenge. I think it's pretty silly, actually. If it didn't sound staged, then I would laugh right now. But I got to say, in all seriousness, getting angry does not make you powerful. And you can't get no peace, man. Here's an alternative perspective. Again, it goes back also to the question about getting to know yourself, which I think is the key to developing compassion. Not just because when you understand your own that, that this makes me miserable, then you understand, oh, the same thing may make other people also miserable. It's even much deeper than that. When you really get to know yourself, you realize that when you ignore others and when you mistreat others, very often it harms you even before it harms them. It's a very unpleasant experience to be angry. Uh, So your anger may harm other people or maybe not. Maybe you're, you're boiling with anger about somebody and you don't do anything about it because she's your boss. Uh, but you don't harm her, but your, your anger harms you. So the more you, uh, you understand yourself, the greater incentive you have to do something about my anger, about my hatred, about my fear. And most people discover that as they develop more compassion towards others, they also experience far more peace within themselves. Now, I talked about anger and mentioned the fallacy or the falsehood, what is untrue about anger or surrounding anger is that people see it as an essential outlet or as a useful tool. But like Harari describes here, it actually has nasty side effects. Not to mention the damage done when it arises and we can't just control it like Tom Bilyeu says. Revenge is intoxicated with control. We're going to control it. It's intoxicating rage. I am Batman. Chapter two is more horrific stuff for young David to deal with. His mother gets engaged to a guy Goggins describes as the closest thing he had to a male role model. But this man, Wilmoth, is murdered and David ends up watching the footage of himself and his mother arriving at the crime scene again and again and again on the TV news. He witnesses an accident where a child is crushed under the school bus and he looks under the bus. 
When he moves to a mostly white high school in a town 20 minutes from KKK headquarters, he faces racist intimidation daily through threats, jokes, spray painting abuse on his car and humiliation when he's on a date with a white girl and her father comes in and tells her, I don't ever want to see you with this again before taking her out of the restaurant. Wow. How that must have felt. David starts listening to Malcolm X and dressing like the cool black guy trying to play the rebel, but without any real cause, he admits. It was his grandfather's uniform and Dave Guerin, a man who survived a free fall accident where his chute was destroyed, who inspired him to join the armed forces. He's about to drop out of high school when he gets cut from the basketball team, but then he starts pep-talking himself in the mirror, like we hear on page 66. Look at you, I said. What do you think the Air Force wants your punk ass? You stand for nothing. You are an embarrassment. You are one dumb motherfucker. You read like a third grader. You're a fucking joke. You've never tried hard at anything in your life besides basketball and you have goals? That's fucking hilarious. You don't see people in the military sagging their pants. You need to stop talking like a wannabe gangster. None of this shit is going to cut it. No more taking the easy way out. It's time to grow the fuck up. It's on you. Yeah, I know shit is fucked up. I know what you've been through. I was there, bitch. Merry fucking Christmas. Nobody is coming to save your ass. Not your mummy, not Wilmoth, nobody. It's up to you. That's Goggins talking, like he talks about in the video. I created Goggins. That's Tyler Durden talking. That's the advice for this chapter. Pep talk yourself in the mirror and don't be shy about insulting yourself. I completely disagree. I coach that you should coach yourself with constructive criticism, acknowledging good effort and development first, and then making a realistic assessment of areas for improvement. But let's get a second opinion with Eros on that later. Chapter three, and he's married to Pam, the girl whose dad called him a in that restaurant incident that I related to you earlier. He's working as an exterminator and hating his life. He sees an ad for the SEALs on TV and wants to join, saying, there were answers buried in all that suffering. Answers I needed. But he has to lose over 100 pounds, which he famously does as demonstrated on the cover. And he needs to improve enough to pass the entry test. Now, he wants to quit when he first hears this, but when he goes back to work, this is what he has to face. I didn't know it yet, but I'd found their nesting column. This is cockroaches. And when the poison hit, they started to scatter. Within seconds, there was a skittering across the back of my neck. I brushed it off and craned my neck to see a storm of roaches raining down to the kitchen floor from an open panel in the ceiling. I'd hit the mother load of cockroaches and the worst infestation I ever saw on the job for Ecolab. They kept coming. Roaches landed on my shoulders and my head. The floor was writhing with them. What the fuck? I mean, seriously, what the fucking fuck? This is an epiphany or the moment, or you could describe it as the moment where he gets scared straight. Either way, it sends him back to his accountability mirror and deep into what he calls the discomfort zone, where he has another epiphany when he's trying to start running a second time and makes a breakthrough saying, that's when I first realized that not all physical and mental limitations are real, and that I had a habit of giving up way too soon. This is a useful realization. And he ends the chapter with an attitude of not just embracing pain, but loving it. Lying down in a pond in freezing temperatures before taking a run. More on loving the pain later. For now, chapters four and five are all about pain, because he's completing not one, 
but three of the hell weeks he was talking about earlier with Batman, which is the first part of the training SEALs need to pass in order to qualify for service. He says of the training area, that slab of agony was everything I'd ever wanted. Not because I love to suffer, but because I needed to know whether or not I had what it took to belong. The thing is, most people don't. This is a very revealing quote. Of course, he's talking about if I have enough to get into Navy SEALs, but that's not the way he describes it. He's talking about belonging, and it sounds exactly like no more Mr. Nice Guy who we met in a previous roast. The question to me here is, am I tough enough to be special? This is what it says. What happens if he can't be tough enough to belong? Isn't he enough to belong somewhere for who he is, just as he is? The sad thing is that ultimately he doesn't belong. You find out as you go through the book, he gets kept out of the most elite SEAL team because in the interview they ask him if he can take racist jokes. And he says, sure, but I'll give back as good as I get. This answer wasn't good enough for the United States Navy. At the time, though, as he's facing Hell Week, I still wasn't shit, he claims. And it's clear that he bases his self-worth on his achievements. This is a mistake. Like we discovered in that No More Mr. Nice Guy, I still had trouble accepting me, he admits at this point. My foundation was cracked, he admits. He says in this chapter that he wants to create a mindset so calloused and hard that it becomes bulletproof. This is not possible. In the book, he tries to face his demons, but it sounds more like he starts feeding them instead. Right there on mum's couch, as the moon burned its arc in the night sky, I faced down my demons. I faced myself. I couldn't run from my dad anymore. I had to accept that he was part of me and that his lying, cheating character influenced me more than I care to admit. Before that night, I used to tell people that my father had died rather than tell the truth about where I came from. Even in the seals, I trotted out that lie. I knew why. When you get beat up, you don't want to acknowledge getting your ass kicked. It doesn't make you feel very manly. So the easiest thing to do is to forget about it and move on. Pretend it never happened. Not anymore. Going forward, it became very important for me to rehash my life. Because when you examine your experiences with a fine-toothed comb and see where your issues come from, you can find strength in enduring pain and abuse. Strength in enduring pain and abuse. By accepting Trunus Scoggins as part of me, I was free to use where I came from as fuel. He's this close to healing, but instead he decided to use it as fuel. Cool. Uh, I realized that each episode of child abuse that could have killed me made me tough as hell and as sharp as a samurai's blade. No, it just gave you wounds that you are now callousing over. It's impossible to heal from trauma without therapy. Where is the healing is what I'm asking here. And again, I'd refer you to this excellent video that James created last year, which is all about this. Healing versus hustle. Check it out if you're interested in this idea. Where is the healing? When is the time for the healing? The practical advice for this chapter is about taking souls, and it's pretty fucking twisted. <laughs> Let me share it with you. When they clocked out that night and drove home after a pussy eight-hour shift while we were still going hard, I wanted them thinking about boat crew too. I wanted to haunt them when they slipped into bed with their wives. I wanted to occupy so much space in their minds that they couldn't even get it up. To me, that would be as powerful as putting a knife in their dick. So I deployed a process that I now call taking souls. He talked about this a little bit earlier and it's really twisted, okay? <laughs> you can hear music playing now. 
I, this is one of the few things I like about this Hell Week kind of part of the book. I do love it how he sings this, what you're hearing here, when he gets taken out for extra training. I use music to get fired up too. This is the theme from um, the film t uh, Platoon, Adagio and Strings. My music sounds a little bit more like this guy. Oh yeah, that's right. The highway is alive tonight. Nobody's fooling nobody as to where it goes. Chapter 6 begins the story of Goggin's ultra career. He originally wanted to raise money for Operation Red Wings, which is an organization that provides tuition assistance for the children of veterans who were lost in action. Why the government doesn't pay for that is beyond me. Thanks for dying for our country. Sorry, I mean oil interests. But sorry, we won't be providing your orphan children with an education. Goggins wanted to get into Badwater, which is an infamous ultramarathon that runs 135 miles. It starts below sea level in Death Valley in summer and goes up to Mount Whitney, 8,374 feet. This is to raise money for Operation Red Wings. But to qualify, he had to compete in other races. So he joins a 24-hour race in San Diego, aiming to run 100 miles. No training or preparation. And he did an extreme powerlifting session the night before, even though he knows that he shouldn't have. He admits himself that it was really stupid to do that, but he pushed himself through it despite pissing blood uh, later in the race and the stress fractures on his shins that he taped up. This is one part of the book where he goes kind of nasty, dark, evil, Goggins, monster kind of place like he talked about before. The practical exercise for this chapter is a mental cookie jar full of moments where you overcame adversity in the past. This is essentially accessing positive reference experiences. It happens with approaching too, and it's very useful for keeping your mojo working. I see it on workshops so often. Guys forget so the progress they've made, the positive reference experiences that they have in the bag already. I wish I could talk more about chapter seven because he does the Hurt 100 through the jungle, and it's one of the most awesome scenes in the book. In this chapter, he asks, how do you push yourself when all you feel is pain? The human body is like a car, he says, with a governor that stops the fuel from burning too hot. The governor is there, it's a mechanism, to protect the engine from damage due to excessive rotational speed. Your own governor is what Goggins calls the software that delivers personalized feedback. Most of us give up when we have reached 40% of our potential output. This is the 40% rule, which is awesome. Goggins takes it too far though, of course. You can run on broken legs, he says. Awesome. <laughs> what happens later in life? Isn't there some long-term damage that you're risking there? This book really reminded me of when I worked as a high school teacher. I remember going into the staff room one time and people would put things up on the wall. Someone had put up Chinese doctor's advice to people who are like fitness nuts. He's asking like, do you really think that if you drive a car faster, if you go jogging every day, then it's necessarily going to run for longer. No, take nap. Now, of course, you could take that advice and push it too far, but hopefully you see my point here. Who cares if you can run on broken legs if you're unable to walk in your later years of life? Some people fear death. That's what I fear. Now, when he is just having this turning point and discovering the 40% rule in this chapter, he tells us that there is no shame in quitting, which is true. But then he says that the governor massages your ego like this. Well, is it true or not? Is there no shame in quitting? It's kind of left ambiguous. You can decide.
<laughs> I'm not here to tell you everything. <laughs> mm, sometimes. Chapter 8, he learns he has a hole in his heart. What an incredible story, right? He also becomes a recruiter for the Navy. He kind of becomes Goggins, the tribe builder in this. And the tribe is the U.S. Navy. You never know who you're affecting, he says in this chapter. And that is true. He mentors two students from Atlanta. He tells them, you'll have to become addicted to hard work, scheduling your life like you're on a 24-hour mission every single day. This is the kind of advice for this chapter. Wow. When does this guy have sex? Seriously. This is just more extremism. Like, deactivate Facebook and cut your TV cable now. Okay. Rather than going to that extreme, why not benefit from the positive side of those things and maybe even develop some discipline so that you have them there, but you're not going to use them? Oh, and if you have read this book, do sit at the table after the meal talking about nothing for as long as you like. Moments like this in life are important. I really don't like this schedule every waking minute of your life because it doesn't allow for random occurrences. It doesn't allow for spontaneous adventures. It doesn't allow for the kind of space you need for true creativity. Goggins encourages meticulous scheduling and using your phone calendar reminders as your backstop, as he calls it, as, like to keep you on track. It's basically, the advice is schedule the fuck out of your life and trim the fat. Increase productivity and no multitasking which is really hard for me because that works really well for me. I'll often find myself doing five or six things at the same time. In short, I don't agree with this. I think it's extremism. Chapter nine is about distinguishing yourself by going to army ranger school when you're already a SEAL, for example. This is cool. Goggins also learns about leadership when he schedules insane training for himself and his fellow SEALs as they prepare for deployment to Iraq or Afghanistan or insert war theater country name here. I won't get into that, like I'm trying not to, but I was talking with a really interesting guy who loves Goggins and Carl Sagan, interestingly, this week, and we both agreed that Goggins is great for teaching you to have what James would call a beginner's mindset. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. This takes humility, this beginner's mindset, because you could become an expert in one area and then you know nothing if you decide to take yourself into some new area and explore that. David Goggins obviously embodies humility, and I definitely want you to get that from this review. Chapter 10 is the story of his taking the pull-up record at the time after three attempts. Again, there is an awesome scene where his first attempt is on the Today Show with blinding lights, the cheesy hosts, the Rocky theme music, and a show no weakness banner. But he fails. He says, I had never hit muscle failure in my life before. But then he goes on to say failure is just a stepping stone to future success. Well said. You just have to do an after action report, is Goggin's advice here, like in the military. This is good advice. This is a, a practical description of how failure can lead to success when we learn the lessons and apply the new understanding. That's exactly what happens when you give yourself constructive feedback, like I was talking about earlier, when I mentioned about how you coach yourself rather than just, you know, pep-talking yourself, or worse, te tearing yourself a new one. I cried at the end of the last chapter when he gets reunited with his brother. He gets sick in this chapter. Doctors give him hydrocortisone DHEA when they think it's Addison's disease, which is an autoimmune illness that occurs when your adrenals are drained and your body doesn't produce enough cortisol. 
which was common in the seals, he tells us, because they are primed to run on adrenaline. Uh, the cortisone doesn't help. He finally calls in sick for work, I think for the first time in his life. He lies down and reflects. He realizes a couple of things that I've been pointing out in this book. I never stopped to enjoy, he says. My brain wasn't wired to appreciate. It was wired to do work. It's exactly what I was saying minutes ago with this hustle culture. This is the problem with relentless hustle. There is no time to stop and appreciate, to relax, to enjoy. What's the point? A lot in the bank as you rot in the ground. <laughs> he feels grateful at having been able to live a varied life or, or many different lives as an extreme athlete, as, as a SEAL, etc. He says, I had to fight myself at every turn and my destroyed body was my biggest trophy. Yes, some trophy. He finally figures out that he needs to stretch his body, which totally blew me away. I, I was assuming that he would have been doing this all along through the book, considering what he's accomplishing physically. He says his lack of stretching was so bad that he had, a he had tilted his pelvis, compressed his spine, and wrapped his connective tissues tight. Ouch. Now, I don't have much time in this review because I'm talking with Eros, and I want to get on to talking with him in just a few minutes. There is one theme that I want to touch on, though, and that is pain. This book goes deeper than motivation deeper than discipline even. This book is about pain, your relationship with pain and how pain can scare you away from achieving your full potential. And it teaches you a particular way of dealing with pain. David Goggins suffers in so many ways throughout this book, psychological and physical abuse at the hands of his father, the pain of having to struggle with a learning disability as a result, neglect from his traumatized mother, losing his only real male role model when he was murdered, experiencing the pain of racism as a black man in America, isolation as the only black guy in a small town, and my God, what he must have had to go through in order to memorize textbook pages, in order just to graduate high school, and two divorces he goes through in the book. Not that there's much detail on that, but I'll mention that later. Then there's the physical and psychological pain that he puts himself through, Losing 100 pounds in three months, completing three hell weeks involving a broken kneecap, pneumonia, broken shins, exhaustion, blisters, etc. I was reminded of this book, Feeling Pain and Being in Pain, which I read a few years ago. Feeling Pain and Being in Pain explains how these two functions are different. How the sensory function, ouch, of pain are different to the affective, cognitive, and behavioral aspects of pain. How we perceive pain and how we process pain is different. The book examines a condition called pain asymbolia, where, because of damage to parts of the brain, people lose their ability to react to painful stimuli. They can localize and describe the intensity of painful stimulation, but they cannot react. Such individuals are in constant danger of injury as a result. If you took the approach to pain in this book to its logical conclusion, like the author did, then you end up with the injuries. And then there's the emotional pain. My brother and I took out our pain on each other, he tells us early in the book. They would punch each other as hard as they could. And David would scream, you're not hurting me. Is that all you fucking have? You can't hurt me. You see how tragic this is. Again, it sounds like Fight Club. 
I want you to hit me as hard as you can because I don't feel anything. His father would scream at his brother, you and David need to be strong. I'm not raising a bunch of faggots. And Goggins seems to have internalized this tough guy attitude when he says that Wilmoth, his only male role model, didn't tell me he loved me or, or any of that fake ass sappy shit. David names his book what they used to scream at each other when they were taking out their abuse on one another. There's a quote from this great novel called Shantaram, where he says, I was tough, which is probably the saddest thing you can say about a man. This quote always made me think of a fist held too long that loses the ability to be gentle. It atrophies like that. So that the tough guy who's been punching, pounding with this fist his entire life is no longer able to open the hand and gently stroke the woman that he loves. This is the emotional pain, channeling the rage and frustration and loving the pain and abuse. When he is training for cold endurance, early in the book, he submerges himself in a pond in freezing temperatures and then goes for a run, saying, the pain was excruciating and I fucking loved it. Which is then contradicted in the next chapter when he says, that slab of agony was everything I'd ever wanted, not because I love to suffer. Really? Well, which is true? I mean, the truth is he really gives himself away. He experiences what he calls intense, gratifying pain after his first marathon. Intense, gratifying pain. This is simply masochism. Psycho Pete tells them at SEAL training when he arrives there, one of the trainers, it will be my great pleasure to watch you suffer. This is sadism. You see, Goggins got it wrong about the Buddha when he talks about Buddha at the end of the book. Okay? The Buddha said that life involved suffering, but he didn't claim that life was suffering. It's attachment that leads to most of the suffering, according to Buddha's teaching. <laughs> Perhaps Buddha would say, that Goggins has an attachment to suffering as he channels his rage and relishes the pain. Relishing the pain is the same as relishing pleasure, which also leads one astray. People don't challenge themselves in many ways with their views or their comfort zones. Goggins says this in the book, and it's true. He says, it's what you tell yourself that matters. The most important conversations you will have will be with yourself. Agreed. Then he says, callous your mind. Hmm. Not so sure. Supple mind, not callous. In the interview that I sampled earlier in this video, he says, pain is a test, that's all it is. This is incorrect. Pain is also the gift that nobody wants, but it is an essential gift nevertheless, one that is essential for your survival. And even though it can sometimes prevent you from achieving your full potential, just like your emotions, pain is to be experienced bravely and honestly, not simply overcome or bottled up, or channeled into hatred. You have to feel it, not love it, not hate it. Just experience it for what it is. Goggins, like with his broken shins, he just taped it up. He should have let it heal. Maybe a lack of emotional healing hindered his ability to fully connect in his marriages. I did read that he's now been through a third divorce. I don't know. But even just physically, going into the discomfort zone is only good up to a certain point, and then it starts backfiring. And for a book on fitness, this doesn't actually seem to teach very much on how to maintain your body in a sustainable way. Or does it? Let's go and check in with Eros and see what he's got to say about Can't Hurt Me. Eros, thank you for joining me to have a look at 
Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Welcome, man. Been really looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Well, why don't you just start off with what was your reaction to this book? Yeah, well, it's a pretty intense book. I had a lot of different reactions um, from start to finish. It's like quite a journey, quite the hero's journey he takes us on. Um, but in conclusion, once I'd finished it, I was like pretty, pretty glad, pretty glad I read it. Thought it was uh-huh. a nice story. I got some things out of it. I got to understand him more as a person. I had listened to some podcasts before, but the book really gave me a deeper insight into the guy. Uh huh. I see you'd heard podcasts with him talking before. Uh-huh. Yeah, some with Joe Rogan, some other interviews, little, little snippets here and there, motivational clips, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and he kind of tends to come off as kind of like a, a tough motherfucker or something in, in those sort of yeah, interviews, yeah. I guess. But you get to see a bit more of the heart, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, a lot more. He, he's, he, um, he's pretty brave in terms of how much he exposes in terms of his life journey. Like you say, the, the hero's journey that he goes on throughout the book. Yeah. So in that sense, then... I suppose what I'm asking too is kind of like, what was your personal reaction to this? I think, yeah, at times I I definitely didn't resonate with his approach personally, I guess in reflection. Other times I really like connected a lot, especially with his childhood um, and some of his experiences and his reactions to that. But yeah, in the end, I, uh, I feel like it kind of came full circle and I sort of, yeah, just appreciated the journey he's been on and yeah agreed and disagreed on certain parts of it but at the end of the day it's his life and you know respect him for giving shot yeah yeah similar for me some things i could agree with and some things i could uh, disagree with Mm -hmm. um i want to ask you about the things that you disagree with but maybe in just a minute yeah let's stick with the the positives though in the meantime were there things that you found inspiring about the book i mean you mentioned a number of things just then Mm -hmm. Uh, for one thing, resonating in terms of his childhood experience. Mm. Um, that's something I, I would also relate to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But what were other positive or inspiring things that came out of the book for you? I think just appreciate I, I think for me, it's, it's knowing that there are other people that have been through a lot of shit and that they've this kind of connection to like the darkness and the demons and, and sort of transmuting that into into success and motivation and, and wanting to improve yourself i i really appreciated um in some ways i was like wow this dude's had it even worse to me in some ways and and um i'm like i had sort of gave some perspective i think for me that was actually good because i getting kind of connected to to my story too much as other people's stories and you're so open and vulnerable and i think that's probably the most inspiring thing about the book to me yeah i felt the same and I felt a lot of hope coming from his story. I suppose kind of what you're saying in terms of like, well, he could face that darkness and mm. still persevere, overcome, be resilient enough to, to live through that. Certainly is incredible the challenges that he goes through. I mean, not least of all in, in childhood that I talk about kind of earlier in the video. So yeah, inspirational and inspiring in some ways. I don't know if you can resonate with this, but this is kind of one of the things that's frustrating for me because in some ways I'm like, yes, this is awesome. I'm really inspired and you're filling me with hope. But at the same time, I kind of felt like there were some big problems with, with the way that he was doing things and, and his mindsets and sort of his approach to, to fitness and I suppose in terms of life and motivation. Mm. 
And of course, I mean, like I've introduced you, you're, you're an expert in terms of that health and fitness. I'm not. And one of my motivations in coming to talk to you is like, hey, Eros, I don't really know exactly what I'm talking about here. I'm curious to see what's your take on this kind of uh, approach to fitness and I suppose also um, motivation. Yeah, well, the part of the book that, that comes to mind uh, when you said that is he's, he kind of even acknowledges that a lot of what he did to his body wasn't about getting better at performance. He talks about some of these work he did um, with other Navy SEALs and they just annihilated their bodies, got not even stronger and weaker. And, and they see, it's, from the perspective of wanting to improve performance as an athlete uh, or as a mover, the kind of annihilation method that he, that he advocates doesn't necessarily improve the metrics of performance. But his whole thing is that the mental resili- resilience, callousing the mind, getting tougher, yeah. pain for pain's sake facing pain for pain's sake and not necessarily the outcome being improved increases in performance or health. So it's, yeah, double-edged sword. Like um, from the perspective of wanting to improve people's physical health, I would not advocate his approach. If it's about building mental toughness, then there's definitely aspects of it that I think Uh is useful. I see. So as someone who's motivating you to to have discipline or or to have mindsets where you are not making excuses but instead say actively seeking out challenges this can be a positive thing that he can motivate you yeah. with. but the actual approach in physical practice which you you describe i think really well as like a, some kind of annihilation practice where it's like let's see how much punishment we can take this reminds me of a quote in the book where i think he's about to join he's about to try and join the, the army rangers training and one of the guys there recruiting him is like, Goggins, you're the kind of soldier who wants to become a POW just to see if you know what it takes to make it through, like literally being tortured, which, I mean, sure, I suppose in an extreme sense, it's like yeah. you are finding out in terms of motivation, do I have what it takes? Can I develop the kind of resilience to go through that? But the question that kept coming up with with me, with this kind of annihilation approach to uh, what you're putting your body through, what are the long-term health effects? I mean, I tried to do some research, and this is something I'm thinking about, asking the question, hey, Goggins, in a few decades, are you going to be, is this going to be catching up with you? Yeah, well, I mean, this, I think as you, the book goes on and he talks about where his body's at and health's at, you kind of see where he ends up later on in it. Um, right. And there's definitely a cost which he acknowledges and accepts as a part of this approach. Uh-huh. But for him, it was worth it. That's kind of the take home I get. It was worth. You mean the part of the book where his body basically starts shutting down? Yeah, he yeah. can't figure out what it is. It's like he's got um, some swelling at the base of his spine and on his hip flexors, and it's a big mystery to him what it is. Uh, and it turns out to be something which I thought was quite simple. I don't know. Did that surprise you? What I'm talking about is, is stretching. He simply had no stretching regime, yeah. which just blows my mind. Did you find that surprising? Well, it kind of goes with his whole attitude of like hardcore, like stretch, stretching for pussies. <laughs> like, and I've even heard him say, I don't know if it's in the book, but I, he's reflecting on that period that like, yeah. that's what he thought. He saw it, you know, it's, it's like uh-huh. all, all, you know, and, and that was pretty much his, his approach. And yeah, yeah. stretching was that. 
Right. Or, or and he, I, I, he does mention too that like he did think he would risk losing some power. Yeah. In, yeah. in the muscles, right? If he stretched them. Yeah. yeah um, true. Well, is, is that right? Or that's a misconception according to you? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think he even acknowledges it was a complete misconception. This, like, he idea. does get around to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one of those like, like uh, myths that circular around, circulating around in fitness, like that has no evidence at all. It's actually quite the contrary. Like if you have increased flexibility coupled with the appropriate strength and that range of motion, your athletic output is way better. I think actually I've heard him say about now that he's more flexible, his ultra times have gone drastically down. Like he can complete marathons and different things way faster than he did back then with less training. Right. So it's more efficient than it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little hint of that in the book, I think. Like he's getting in the last chapter basically begins with where he's adopted, I think it's Carl Meltzer's running style, where he's kind of flo floating along and running really freely. And then he flashes back a couple of years where he'd really hit this wall from not flexing. So obviously it's like stretching has actually transformed his fitness regimen and, and, and him as an athlete. Yeah, um, yeah. I just couldn't believe that it was something that simple yeah. Um, I couldn't believe it on a physical level too. I guess it says something about Goggins, who is just like mm. on some other level in terms of, of his pain threshold, okay? Because, I mean, I, I, I go for a, a big walk on the weekend, a big bush walk, walking through the forest. I've got to do some stretching and have a bath afterwards just so I feel okay with it. But it's like it's just business mm. as usual for him to be um, mm. still stiff and sore after that. Thanks for that. We've run out of time for this chat, but thanks so much for coming along and being the first guest on my uh, book roast show. Awesome. Yeah, it was fun, man. I look forward to hopefully catching up with you uh, sometime uh, around James Place in Portugal. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, man. Thanks, Eros. Cheers, John. Catch right. you later. I could feel that Eros could really relate to the tough early life experiences described in the book, just like I could. That's powerful. And I'm grateful to David Goggins for sharing his story of wrestling with his demons and gaining some perspectives throughout the book. Like at the end, where he realizes that he needs to stretch. Eros and I agreed that for Goggins, it was essentially about annihilating himself for most of the book. And that it isn't really about optimal performance. Not until later, anyway. That's unhelpful extremism. Annihilating yourself is unhelpful extremism. And that's why his body breaks down in the end. And I, I guess he kind of learns a different way of dealing with pain in his body through stretching. Now, I am very passionate about stretching and I have been for seven years now. I use a daily morning stretching and qigong routine to maintain my muscles, balance, flexibility, coordination, and mindfulness. <laughs> as well as so much peace. Stretching is not for pussies. Well... It sort of is, but okay. <laughs> Stretching really hurts. So if you're looking to overcome mental barriers to pain that can and should be removed, then something like yoga can be a fantastic way. Guys often mistakenly think that like yoga is for women because it's popular among women. Yoga was used as training for soldiers, for warriors. Uh, and, and some of the styles of yoga that you use are, are basically, it's a warrior technique. Shay Matthews uses a type of yoga called black dragon yoga in order to cultivate powerful sexual energy 
This is something that you also learn on The Natural Warrior. Definitely not just for girls. When you study yoga, you learn this. It is not body that is stiff. It is mind that is stiff. My advice on all of this that we're talking about is, like Bruce Lee says, become like water, not stone. Goggins quotes Taoism in the book. He says, like the Taoists say, those that know don't speak. And those who speak, well, they don't know jack shit. But he misses the whole point of Taoism. It's kind of what I was trying to refer to with the story about the Chinese doctor that was pinned up in the staff room. Taoism is about bringing yourself into harmony with nature, not annihilating yourself, but enriching yourself by simply tapping into your surrounding environment and learning the laws of life. Life is long. Using your anger to fuel yourself is just going to burn you out. Adjust the governor on your car with care. Push yourself, yes, but don't annihilate yourself. There's good pain and bad pain, basically, like Eros said in the interview. Be disciplined, but not driven. And don't talk down to yourself. Don't name call, just like you wouldn't do with somebody else. Be dedicated, but the devotee of no one. Rating system, readability, very well structured and written and easy to read. The tone is chill, but the nasty scenes do kind of get wearing. I don't know, maybe I'm just a total pussy and I was like, ooh. Profundity, as profound as the most out-of-the-box military guy could be, as he describes himself. The most out-of-the-box a military guy could be. I mean, in a way, this is American Hollywood war propaganda. Just like Lone Survivor or American Sniper. As a discussion of pain tolerance and the pain thresholds, it's a fascinating read too. Uh, Just like this book that I was talking about, okay? This is the story of a man facing systemic racism and racist abuse at every turn. In short, it's a whole bag of profundity and would make an incredible film that explored this in contrast to a backdrop of the American dream that fuels the military-industrial complex. Propaganda. Look at this billboard. This billboard is propaganda. It would cross-reference nicely this film version that I'm dreaming up with the story of Navy SEAL Robert Guzzo, who took his life after hiding the pain of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, in order to keep his security clearance and be able to continue as a SEAL. The article I found this information in starts with an estimated 18 veterans commit suicide every day. What the fuck? This is the extreme affect of untreated trauma. How useful is this information? There's some really useful insights in this book, like the 40% rule, like I said before, but the overall philosophy is flawed. It's a great story with a magnificent character arc, but if this is life advice, then I want to know about how other aspects of your life were impacted by all of this. What happened with Kate, your second wife, for example? How does this life advice impact on relationships, basically? Especially the 24-hour hustle aspect of it. How hard do I have to dig to get this information? It's laid out there at the end of each chapter in the challenges. It's easy. How specific is the audience the book addresses? It's for anyone who needs their ass kicked, basically. Should I bother reading it? Yeah, of course. Quick, read this book before they make the movie. Yeah, read it. It's engaging and entertaining. And Goggins is an incredible character. Take his hero's journey with him. Just make sure that you finish the book and learn about the importance of stretching at the end. Speaking of the end, that's it for this roast. Thanks for coming to the dinner table and stay chill. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The Natural TV. See you on the next episode.